Hello, 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 and happy Friday to all the Crossing Broadcast listeners out there. What is up? What is good? Adam Lefko here with Russell Joy and Kyle Scott. It is a Friday. Not only do we have to get ready for an Eagles-Chiefs game, not only did Reese Hoskins hit another freaking bomb last night, but Marcus Hayes is at it again. Would you believe it? The absolute dribble of an ink-stained wretch continues to rile up the nation over complete nonsense. Uh, But let us start off with something positive before we get to something negative. Reese frickin' Hoskins. I mean, Russ, you dumped it in the chat last night. He goes, he hit another one. It's reached official crazy face levels. 18 home runs, 39 RBI. I mean, the guy is out of his mind. I think the stat that I saw last night was uh, the the players who, at this point in their career, um, Hoskins has 39 RBI. I think at the same point in his career, Pujols had around 37, I want to say. Ted Williams, I think, had 36. Like, he is in beyond elite company. We went from talking about kind of one-hit wonder guys who just went on a hot streak to start their career. Um, At this point, I think you really do have to start to wonder, like, how is there even a possibility that he does not end up being at least a solid major league contributor next year? Like I remember when Darren Ruff got called up, he started crushing some homers, but like we kind of we kind of knew that there was a shelf life on him. For Hoskins to continue to crush the ball like he is, pitchers going into games knowing that they should not be challenging him at this point. I mean, he's legitimately the only guy in the lineup right now who is crushing the ball with power. The fact that that pitchers have now I would say a, a more extensive scouting report on him, and he is still crushing balls, is incredible. He hit his first home run, I believe it was his first, the opposite way, hit it to uh, to right field last night, kind of right center. Um, there's been an argument going on recently about teams playing a shift against him, but Hoskins has looked incredible. Kyle? Uh, I think part of the thing with him is that he's, um, it's not like he's up there hacking someone, my buddy who really doesn't pay attention to the fills anymore. And most people don't actually, uh, was, you know, he's like, well, this isn't sustainable. It's a fluke. And it's like, it's not, he's not up there. It's not like he's up there striking out three out of every four at bats and just swinging for the fences and roping one. You know, he's not like a West Chamberlain sort of swing. Like he has good measured at bats he takes bad pitches. Um, he doesn't overswing. His swing is natural. Like his swing is short and natural. It's like it's a it's not a sustainable pace that he's on. But his his power stroke is it's a sustainable. He's a sustainable player. Like there's nothing on there that's like oh this guy's gonna burn out. It's not like he's a flamethrower pitcher. You're like wow his arm's gonna fall off. Like he's just got a good compact swing and he's not that big like you don't even look at him like oh yep he's on steroids like there's nothing about him where you're like something's unnatural here or this isn't sustainable or he's got a bad body type he's just like a i mean he's just he's just perfect so i don't know i haven't paying attention to the rookie of the year race in the major league baseball this year but it kind of feels like reese is like Embiid, but not because of injury because he wasn't called up where you have like a smaller sample size, but like his impact in that sample size is so incredible that is there a chance that Reese can win rookie of the year with this performance or are there guys that have been killing it for the entire season? Like, I don't know that answer, but I mean, 
this is, I mean, I saw a picture of the whole Phillies team standing up in the dugout and all just like watching his at bats. It, it's it's magic, and it, it really is incredible. I just don't know if he can win the award because, in my mind, it, this is some game changing shit. I think, yeah. I mean, he's not going to. He hasn't played long enough, I don't think. I'm not following closely enough, but I don't think you could turn in six weeks of baseball and win an award over guys who have done it something the entire season. However, someone sent me an email the other day, and I don't know the answer to this, but he has a realistic shot of leading the Phillies in home runs and being an August call-up. They were wondering if that's ever happened before in the history of baseball. I would think not, given the fact that his historic clip right now is like up there with Babe Ruth and Ted Williams. I can't imagine there has been another August call-up who's even a, you know, even a primetime player returning for two months at the end of the season, hitting enough home runs to lead his team. Like that would have to be a first. And that's, and he's, I think three back of Tommy Joseph at the moment. Yeah. So Adam, to answer your question, no, um, Cody Bellinger is probably going to win from the Dodgers. Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Um, there have been three pitchers from the Rockies. Uh, yeah, Kyle Bellinger has 37 homers, yeah. too. So, like, it's... um, it, I, think I, last, I don't or, know what I'm talking about, but fuck him. Give it yeah, to Reese. Yeah, Um. by the way, this is just the other thing. We talked a long time about how Reese has shown incredible plate discipline. And even when he's gotten into 0-2 counts, I think the stat I saw last night was he 10 of his home runs have come in an 0-2 count, where he's still, like... <laughs> This is, I guess, where you compare him to uh, to Philly's mashers of the past. Pick your Ryan Howard, pick your Pat Burrell, whoever you want. When they got into an 0-2 count, I don't think many of us thought that they were going to hit a home run. I believe he now this year has more home runs, 10, on uh, an 0-2 count than Giancarlo Stanton does at 9. Again, elite company. It's pretty awesome. Uh uh, it's like I said. I, I just think it's so exciting for next year to be able to build around this guy and have banners of him all over the city. How old is he, Russ? Do you know? Uh, he's an older rookie. Okay. Um, yeah, there you go. Man, it's but just so it, funny you, that we sorry, we weren't sure we weren't sure if he was ready to come up. No, but the crazy ready. thing is, if you combine him with like Jorge Alfaro, Nick Williams, keeping Adubel Herrera around, like. Cesar Hernandez, Freddie Galvis, we've had these conversations. J.P. Crawford, if Michael Franco gets it gets it together. If Kingery uh, continues to learn a few new positions and he's able to come up in the next year or so. Now you start to see why Philly could once again become a free agent destination. You would have a young, skilled team. They're an exciting team to watch. And now it doesn't seem that unrealistic that with one big bat, one legitimate starting pitcher that they could start to chase a wild card, not just your obviously, but like in the next year or so, I think we just went from seeing a team that was going to be a perennial hundred loss chaser every year to a team that legitimately with, with the right free agents or the right trade of, of a glut of prospects, uh, you know, le- legitimately could start chasing a wild card. And then that's where so we started you're telling into- me that a perennial loser in the city of Philadelphia has put together a young core and that a few studs have emerged, that there's a possibility that a big-name free agent could come and take them over the top and possibly put together a playoff run. How about I've heard that? this story before. Yeah, I have too. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, someone who writes stories that needs to stop writing stories. His name is Marcus Hayes. 
Let's get to it. Uh, this is kind of what I think started this podcast is Kyle's uh, stories over the year. You've seen it. It's the Comcast Sportsnet picture of Marcus Hayes with a poop emoji over it. When you see it on crossingbroad.com, you know Kyle's about to get really passionate. It's literally I typed in Marcus Hayes bad into Google last night, and it was like eight Crossing Broad articles in a row. Uh, he took a he took a week old quote uh, misquote from Jeffrey Laurie in which he let out let out some parts uh, about the anthem and Colin Kaepernick and seemed to extrapolate an article in which he disavowed Colin Kaepernick and anyone who would protest and he wrote an article. And this led to uh, Sean King, not the former quarterback that that we destroyed in the playoffs for the Tampa Bay Bucks, but a former writer of what New York paper was it? I don't remember. One of the one of the New York papers. He uh, typically is a big social advocate writer, social injustice writer, and it turned into a huge like uh, article from him, in which. He just went off of Marcus Hayes' article and he yelled at Jeffrey Lurie and the Eagles and, and their stance on Colin Kaepernick. It was retweeted multiple times, uh, multiple being like tens of thousands. Uh, does he write for a New York paper? No, I don't think he does. Sean King... I think he uh, used to. Sean King okay. is a writer for Fair Punishment, commentator on the Young Turks um, and TJM show, according to his Twitter bio. Yeah, yeah I'll look far up and left, see what he said uh, before. He used to work for a New York paper. Um, what's really funny is, I'll tell you where I was when I heard about this. I'm sitting there in Bleacher Report by uh, like one of the content tables. So I'm surrounded by like 24-year-olds that are manning like so many forms of social media and I'm just talking to them all. And one of them goes, do you see what your owner said? And I said, no. And he sl he slides around his monitor and he shows me the headline. And the headline was uh, the, the, the modified quote that Marcus Hayes had written, which was uh, something to the effect of anyone that uh, protests the flag, like I don't respect. But there was like I don't a think any, I don't think is uh, is very respectful. Is very respectful. Leaving out the, the line in and of in, itself. In and of itself. And I literally at that time said, did you read the article or did you just read that headline? He goes, just the headline. I go, well, technically, anyone that does just protest the flag is disrespectful. I would like to see the full quote to see if he was talking about protesting the flag or anything like that. And he goes, I don't know, man. That kind of says it all right there. I go back to my computer and what's on my timeline? Your article going, they left out bolt, they left out so much shit. I sent it to him. He goes, Oh wow, you were right. The what's fact it? that the fact that Marcus Hayes can play with our headline fiending culture where people don't actually read anything anymore and could mess and could create a firestorm like this like he has before. It, I've now reached critical mass where he's hurting his readership. And and what he did is like malpractice. And, and it always is malpractice with this guy. So this 24-year-old you were talking to, is he the person who is who wrote the Bleacher Report article on it? Because right no, now when you he touch was Jeffrey Laurie into 
whoever it is fell hook, line, and sinker. And it's, as far as I could tell, still live and hasn't been updated. Um, when you type Jeffrey Lurie into Google, I'm not piling on Bleacher Report here, but just saying no, of course. this is how these things happen. Right. It's, That's what I'm saying. It's the second It's the second story. Jeffrey, like, I mean, dead picture, top story, Google Google algorithm story, that yep. sort of thing. So what's well, incredible? I, I, could, I could call somebody, but this is exactly what happened earlier this summer with the whole Carson Wentz quarterback guru thing. That thing was picked up everywhere, and it wasn't true. <clears throat> right, and if you work at Bleacher Report or any other outlet, you're you're thinking, okay, this is the major newspaper or major website, whatever, in Philadelphia. I'm, I'm going to trust that they're at least accurately quoting the guy, even if the guy who wrote it's a hack with, with outrageous opinions. But I mean, Hayes, what Hayes did, first of all, this press conference was last Thursday. I I was so baffled that I, Kevin and I had two phone conversations about this while we were working on the post. Like, are we missing something here? Did Lori speak another time? Like, he doesn't speak to the media often at all, and it's a big deal when he does. I'm like, are we missing something? We were not. It was from last Thursday, a press conference I watched and wrote a post about after it happened and specifically remembered the line and remembered thinking at the time, oh man, if someone takes that out of context, that is a bad line. Like as he said it, even the in and of itself part, it was a bad line. But he immediately followed it up and explained to himself that the point he was trying to make is if you're just protesting the anthem, then yeah, but most of the guys who are doing anything during the anthem are doing it because they it's given it gives them a platform to bring attention to something else they care about. And then he went on to talk about why Malcolm Jenkins does it and how he then backs it up off the field. So it was it was definitely like a lukewarm, tepid endorsement of Kaepernick and Lori being the most probably liberal owner in the league. It um, it was kind of shocking that, you know, it, you could imagine how most other owners feel about him if that's how Lori feels, which is lukewarm at best. But, you know, he did not say what the way Hayes interpreted it. Even better is that Hayes' article was trying to defend him. So Hayes took him out of context, tr- uh, built up a straw man based on his comments, then tried to defend him. And then yesterday, besides Lori getting attacked, it was people attacking <laughs> Hayes for defending those horrible comments, which he didn't actually say, and for being inept because he took him out of context. Like, Hayes managed to step on it on both sides, which is truly, truly remarkable. And I'm so glad that, like, nationally now, people are finding out how god-awful Marcus Hayes is, not just for his opinions. Brandon Lee Gowton had a good thing on Bleeding Green yesterday. Oh, like awesome. He is wrong. Like, he, he does things that are wrong, and he, like, just misconstrues events that, like, dozens of other people are in attendance for. Like, it's... It's, it'd be like if Brian Williams made up things that happened in a press conference attended by 100 people. It's incredible. Whoa, whoa. Hey, now. Yeah, I mean, uh, Brandon Lee Gowton's thing was, I thought, maybe one of the more scathing things I've seen him write. Uh, it is important to point out the fact that uh, I think he has one of the best pinned tweets, and it is entirely relevant in the situation. The guide on how to comment on internet articles. One, read the headline, optional. Two, do not read the article. Three, start typing your comment. Here's a crazy thing. So Kyle was right that the number one article is that Bleacher Report one that uh, Jeffrey Lurie, uh, colon, national anthem protesters are not very respectful. Um, then you have other <coughs> other headlines here that say Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie, comma, once employed by Ry- who employed Riley Cooper, comma, dislikes Colin Kaepernick. That's Yahoo Sports. This whole thing is mind-bending, and I think the part that's maybe the most frustrating is, like, what Kyle said, 
Jeffrey Lurie, I think, is widely considered one of the most liberal owners in the NFL. He's the guy who decided to, to make Michael Vick a reclamation project. Signed him practically out of jail. Gave the guy another chance. You're going to tell me... Like, this is, I think, where we get into why people get so angry with, with the way the news cycle works. Lurie took so much flack in the Vick signing. And it was erased within a few clicks and a few words of Marcus Hayes... And Sean King, who, by the way, Adam, you're right, it's uh, New York Daily News, goes out of his way, tweets a few things to his 700-ish thousand followers, and all of a sudden, all the good that Lurie has done for social activism goes out the freaking window, because now you've got major outlets picking the story up, and now essentially saying that Lurie is a racist. And by the way, in the way that some of them went in and updated the, uh, the article, they didn't necessarily go back in and point out the exact part that we talked of, the in and of itself, they just mentioned the fact that the Eagles offered rebuttal. That is not clearing the guy. That is not interpreting the words as he said them. That, that like, it is such an issue, and yep. somebody's got, like, somebody is going to be held accountable at at either these these different well, news outlets. Like, it it is going to be a thing. Well, here's the deal. I was thinking about this last night, and there are... A few, like if you're not good at your job, a lot of times it can just kind of go unnoticed. There are two times I think when your employer, sometimes their hand will be forced to take action. That's when either one, you ruin the relationship with an advertiser, or two, you ruin the relationship with somebody that controls the number one interest of your readers. And that is the Philadelphia Eagles. And that is Jeffrey Lurie. And you know that Jeffrey Lurie right now and his people have called the Philadelphia Daily News and have had a conversation with not just his manager and not just the director, like the guy that runs, that owns the Philadelphia Daily News. And when the owners start talking, that's when the owner of the Daily News begins to look at his people and goes, is this guy worth the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles bringing down wrath upon me? Will, like seriously, will they allow credentials? Will they allow sponsorship? This is going to be a huge thing. That's why I believe that this could lead to something major happening with Marcus Hayes. Because it's different than getting a story wrong about a coach or about the fans or whatever. When you misquote the owner and lead to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people questioning an owner who truly does care about social issues, if you question him and it causes this uproar against him, I think something might happen because of this. So um, a couple of things there. Interestingly, the the Inquirer and Daily News are now owned by a nonprofit after uh, Jerry Lenfest donated uh, the entirety of Philly Media Network to the Philadelphia Foundation. So it's this like now it's this, this nonprofit consortium that owns those papers. And it's not that they're not trying to make money, but they've also had an investment to like discover the future of journalism. It's all a bunch of bullshit and none of it's ever going to work because the people, by all accounts, the people employ there in the business for years now have made a terrible business decision after terrible business decision. And um, I mean, they are twisting in the wind as it would be. Uh, regarding Marcus Hayes and his employment, 
I think I mentioned this on an earlier podcast. He stuck around because um, of tenure. I mean, there have been multiple rounds of layoffs, but that union, the Writers Guild, which employ, uh, which counts writers and at least when I was there, advertising uh, reps and stuff like that, is highly based on seniority. And the reason why him and Smallwood and, and other guys and Les Bowen, and I, I actually think Les is pretty good, um, but, you know, the reason why all the old timers are there and a lot of the guys people liked or who were younger or not is simply seniority. I've heard that there's another there will be future rounds of layoffs potentially soon and that that whole seniority thing will no longer be in existence. And it's going to be based on a, uh, you know, a qualification standpoint, which is how it should be. Now, I've just only heard that from one person, so I don't know if that's the case. But, um, yeah, so like t- to your point. I don't know if there's an owner counting the checkbook who's like, oh, the Eagles are mad at me because there really kind of is no owner. It's a group. Uh, but it doesn't mean Marcus would be safe in the long run because if, so, if another round of layoffs comes, he should he should go. He's he's bad. He's bad. Dude, at I hate – and, Russ, before you go, I hate calling Agreed. for other people's jobs because there are families, there are friends, and it's, it's irresponsible because you don't want it coming back to you one day. I'm just saying he makes the entire city look bad. And if I were to see him, I would say this to his face. Because I genuinely believe that he is hurting people and credibility is so important. And if the only thing you do in this job is accuracy, then at least you're doing that right. Because the en- the entertainment's not there. I'm not getting entertainment but no accuracy. I'm getting no accuracy and no entertainment. So, Adam, I'm going to... I'm going to tell you why he's not going to lose his job and Kyle besides tenure. Tenure is tenure is a thing that can can still be defeated. It happens in a a variety of uh, of fields. Here's what happens. Marcus Hayes is going to walk in. He's going to say, "Okay, if this was such a big deal, then why wasn't it brought up last week when I wrote the article? He's also going to mention the fact he wrote it yesterday. He He wrote it yesterday. Okay. That when he that's wrote, the thing is he wrote it a week after he didn't write it like he that's that's part of the fabrication of this nonsense. And here's the other thing he's going to say, look, I used an ellipsis, and an ellipsis is used when you are uh, intentionally omitting something from a quote. It is a standard written procedure, and he should argue what he likely will argue is that the person who ran with it, Sean King, should have pulled the full quote, and that he was not being disingenuous. Like I, that's where this is gonna go. Marcus Hayes is not gonna be in trouble, well, and it's okay. gonna be and it's gonna be like the dumbest technicality, and he probably should face some kind of discipline. Maybe it'll be a temporary suspension. I mean, if 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 guys like Jeff McLean were essentially uh, security forced their way out of the press box last year, I don't know how Marcus Hayes ends up being in the press box. I don't know how he ends up getting a credential to a game. That's kind of where I'm looking at it from. Um, but then again, I, I, he's he's got a big newspaper at his back. It's not like Josh Ennis working for an AM station, getting his Texans uh, credential revoked. Uh, yeah, I think your part about a big newspaper is is a good one. Um, I don't underestimate the union and professional writers association. Whatever, I'm assuming football writer, whatever writers association he's a part of, the guild, the union, the paper. Like, don't underestimate those things. It's um, if you're the Eagles, it is not. 
it's not taken lightly if you revoke someone's press credentials. Like the Josh Innes thing is funny, but like no one like seriously thinks like, oh man, that guy was trying to do like actual news. Like everyone just sort of, th- yeah, Innes is, is an ass clown. Of course he did. Like, of course we got a guy ejected from the Flyers press box last year because he went in there and compared on day one and compared Andrew McDonald to uh, a drunken, a drunk driver and stuff like that. So of course those things happen. Removing a guy from the Daily News press credential uh, would not go unnoticed and would be a big story and would probably bring more unto harm to the Eagles than if they just let it go and placed a bunch of angry phone calls. The problem with Marcus is it's not about like being disciplined by his editor or whatever. It's not about hiding behind the ellipses. Like Worse than, I think, the fact that he took out in and of itself was the fact that he just took out the entire context. Like If anyone who watched that press conference anyone especially who's been in the media for as long as Marcus Hayes has should have should have known better than to just take that one quote out because it it could have been misconstrued and there was a whole lot of context around it that explained it and it was like the worst most clickbaity thing he could possibly do and the the ironic part is he was trying to defend him but it didn't suit his straw man argument that he needed for a column to include the context so he took the most salacious quote he could like it's just bad but i i honestly don't know if he's like if there is another round of layoffs seriously um you know whoever's making those decisions would have to consider look man this is not the first time this is a guy who accused ken griffey jr of taking steroids with with no evidence he went on a, a radio i think it was a seattle radio station and said this it was like like what are you doing, man? Like, like what are you doing? He he, time and time does this again. Besides his bad opinions, he injects things that that really didn't happen, and that like he thinks like that he either perceives to have happened or just wants to get attention for. The other thing I would note is that Philly.com launched its paywall last week that we've talked about. Um, I don't know if I I know there are people there who feel the pressure, and if there are more layoffs coming, that is definitely something that affects people's mentality. I don't know this. I don't want to just accuse him of this, but there's definitely people there who have to prove their worth and prove their worth with, you know, bringing subscriptions and page views. Like, this is a real thing now. And, you know, does that force someone to write a story like this that is guaranteed to get attention? Um, it, it probably does. It probably does. Yeah, it's sad. And I just think that people assume when you pick up a paper, you're reading facts. And I don't know. I think it's journalistic malpractice. Uh, Russ has to get going, and we're going to transition to the Chiefs-Eagles preview because as sane people, I think we need to. Russ, would you like to give your prediction for Sunday's game at At Ahead Stadium? I don't think this one goes well. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna go like a, a 35-24 game. I think I think it makes enough sense. I don't see a way that the the Eagles are gonna go into Arrowhead, uh, and and beat the Chiefs. You've got Andy Reid versus Andy Reid light, and I think Andy Reid beats Andy Reid light. If Andy Reid beat Bill Belichick on the road in Week One, I know that you're coming off an emotional high. Uh, you might end up smelling yourself a little bit too much. You might be a little bit overconfident. The Eagles are not gonna be overconfident coming off their win, but. I just don't see a way that they come out of this game victorious. That means two straight weeks that I'm predicting the Eagles to lose. So hopefully I'm wrong again. Well, the good thing is is that I'm betting uh, it, one of my quote-unquote left-go locks is that the Eagles are going to lose, and I'll get into that in a second. So they're probably going to win because my locks are so fucking bad. Again, guess, locks, guess, guess who picked the Bengals last night? 
Guess oh, who picked no. the Bengals last night? No. This guy. Dude, it's unreal. It's, Dude, this I is can't... like you, you, your locks at this point either have the key left in them or have the combination written on the back. I'm telling you, I'm trying to shoot the moon for the season. I'm trying to go 0 for 51. You want to go to Detroit I, Lions? Look I think it's you. possible. That's, that's All right, Russ, go educate the youth of our All country. Right, Just talk. tell them, explain but, to them that Marcus Hayes is hurting our people's brains. Here's the funny thing is that, like, a lot of them end up reading these kind of articles. And, I know. And this is... And this is what they, they go to the well with. And this is what ends up becoming an I am literally when we get done this though, I'm gonna ed- I'm gonna email a few people about making a correction to the Bleach Report article because you know, just it that's what you gotta do. Yeah. But unreal. All right, and, All right guys, have a good and one. honestly it's it's outlets like and this isn't a bleacher report thing, but you guys are so good at social media and stuff and SEO that you're almost always in the top three results. And when you type this stuff in uh, and you just hit Jeffrey Lurie, like, I mean, it's it's front and center is is that quote yeah. from Bleacher Report. And it's, I don't blame someone for putting that article together. You would, you know, like, I obviously as a blogger do a lot of this stuff. And, you know, when you see quotes online, you try and consider who they came from. And if it came from some, typically like, I find the worst sources for things are sport the websites of sports talk radio stations. Go figure around the yes, country. Like definitely, so and so said something, or sports talk radio break personality breaks trade rumor or something like that on Twitter. It's almost always like should be taken with a grain of salt because exactly. they're not journalists. Like they're bros yeah, and, and like. And, and for like how Bleacher Report works, like if you see, a like a like, okay, so we'll go back to the Doug Peterson comments about Carson Wentz. That one was written to the extent of, and then he said with an angered tone, blah 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 blah, and that got picked up everywhere because all these websites were like, why would somebody lie about that in the major newspaper of record in a major top five city? And so when Bleacher Report sees this article dot 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 they don't think that the qualifier in there is that and look should they be going around and reading multiple articles you know what i'm sure they tried to but no other articles were written about it because it happened a week ago and it wasn't true so like someone saw this and and put hey this happened the the man it's just it's malpractice it's 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 easy well it's easy to fool people i mean like it is I watched and wrote about the press conference, and so, and I literally twice called Kevin yesterday because he initially started on the post, and I was like, "Are we missing? Did he speak to them at some other point?" I am. I don't know this for sure. I'm fairly certain that at some point yesterday, Hayes's article said Sunday that Lori spoke to the media. I could be wrong on that. It could have just been. I may have just misinterpret something the first time I read it, but. I'm not sure that he didn't originally say Sunday when the press conference happened Thursday. Because when I called Kevin, I said, did he speak to someone Sunday? And then when I went back, I didn't see it in the story. So either I misread it or it was taken out. The Regardless of, of the point, it's like, as someone who watched and wrote about the press conference, it uh, fooled me. I was like, wait, what? Did he say something? I even tweeted John Kyle, Barcher. I have an idea. I was like, I have an idea these quotes you. sound the same. Are they from two different press conferences? I have an idea for you. One of your writers should do a deep dive into Hayes's career and find the other places in which he wrote and interview people and see if this is a trend. 
Well, I, yeah, it's 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 a good point. Um, you know what I mean? Like little anecdotes from like other writers being like, dude, he's done this everywhere. Because like, I don't think this is as of late. You know what I mean? And I, it's not even just like other websites and tricking other websites. Like I always think about my dad. Like if my dad's reading the paper and and he'll go like he, I remember with the whole quarterback thing. He goes, Adam, did you see this? They're upset because. The other people, when you read the paper, you don't think that you have to double check. I don't know. Yeah, um, no, look, wait, hold on. Uh, it, last thing on that, like, I, you know, I've been doing this for seven years. I remember back in 2010. Now, this was more of an opinion, but it, Hayes asserted matter of factly that that people like Chase Utley more than Ryan Howard because Chase Utley was white. Like, <laughs> he wrote that in the in the paper, and at the time, it was the sort of thing where it was like stuff like this didn't quite spin out of control the way it does now but like right. that would get such you know it but was what's such funny a- is what's funny is it doesn't spin out of control because social media didn't exist however within individual homes it could be asserted as fact and oh, then subconsciously it does go out of control because then people are sitting there going Hey, you know what? You think they just like him more because he's white? Yeah, I think that's it. I think I saw that somewhere. I don't remember how. It's forgotten that it was a Marcus Hayes article, and then it becomes part of your, you know, ideology. Right. And, you know, I mean, I wish Russ was here for this, but, you know, not to make like a Donald Trump point here, but, you know, you take the Trump voter, uh, the media is dishonest, the fake news, whatever. And it's, it's partly true. And where it's where it's not true is that there's a lot of people throughout the country who, again, if you're not, <clears throat> you know, we all sort of sit around and follow the media and kind of pick up what happens on things like this Hayes article. And we're talking about it now, but the average person doesn't. And specifically the the more uneducated Trump voter who believes that the media is like some vast conspiracy what the, that that is incorrect. Like if there's anything that's like a big leaky, creaky ship, it's. It's the media. It's just what it is, though, is it's people who are trying to do their jobs. And right now, all of those jobs are built around we need content, we need clicks, we need views, we need ratings, right? And when when you get this nugget, like it, like this out-of-context Hayes quote, everyone is desirous to grab it and run with it because it's it's good for business, quite frankly. And, and stuff that shouldn't spirals out of control. And it's not... It's not like this crazy conspiracy. I don't the guy at Bleacher Report who wrote this isn't some left-wing nut, you know, trying to trying to uh, you know, damn Jeffrey Lurie. He's like, "Oh, wow, these are these quotes are crazy. This is a story and it becomes the like, number one hit." Exactly. On and it's one of like 40 articles he probably posted that day. Exactly. Um, I, I, I then I think about like the Twitter where just people don't click on things and read them anymore. But the problem in this case was even if you read it, you would have been read. You would have been reading lies. Um, all right, let's talk about the game. Uh, are you in the camp with me and Russ that it's going to be a really tough game? Uh, and my other question would be, what is it like for you when the Eagles play Andy Reid? What is that week like, just from the way people talk about it? Uh, I don't think. I honestly don't think it registers that much uh, as, it, as it did the first year they played after um, against Chip Kelly. You know, that was the homecoming game. I, I think for all, like the younger, our audience is 25 to 35. And I think for that younger demographic, the Andy Reid thing is less of a big deal than it is for the WIP crowd where, you know, like 
I would say like Jeff Carter was sort of like my like, you know, what's the thing you might think of when you think of Crossing Broad? Like maybe a Jeff Carter or a Radio Wars, right? When you think of WIP, like really what sort of took that, not that they weren't big beforehand, but in recent years, what they were known for was the Andy Reid bashing, right? Just those last, even the Super Bowl, Angelo Cataldi's outside the Novacare complex with a bullhorn after the Super Bowl, asking what happened on the final drive. Like, they are kind of synonymous with Reed, but I feel like the younger demographic, we're not like that. Like, we look at that era mostly. We might roll our eyes at Reed from time to time, but we're like, hey, you know, they were actually really good when I was in college. And that's like what our age group thinks of really good when I was in college or high school. So I don't know how much like, oh, it's the Reed game. Like, I don't think we have that relationship with Reed, even though literally still make fun of him. Literally on cue, the 97.5 fanatic just tweeted some Andy Reed discussion happening now on 97.5 mornings. There it is. That's amazing. He's I I mean, look, he was easy to talk about for Um, me when, when the whole like let's let go of Andy Reid movement happened. My the moment that I always remember is watching ESPN, and Tom Chris Berman asked Tom Jackson about it, and Tom Jackson said everyone in Philadelphia that's asking for Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb to be kicked out of town, be careful what you wish for. And I remember being like, shut the F up. Like, we need to move on. What this game, when I think of Andy Reid now, I don't get upset about Andy Reid. Uh, I I get a little bit, I, I look at what he's done there and I go, you know what? Maybe he, he needed a change of pace too. Everything that happened with his family, uh, just how tired this city was with with the same repetitive action. But I think for me, I put most of that blame in the early 2000s on Donovan. And I've taken most of them off of Andy Reid. Because the stories that I've heard about Donovan and his work ethic, and I know that people get annoyed at the players that constantly come out and bash Donovan. I also go, you know what? There's a reason why all the players come out and bash Donovan. And I think that when I see the core that he's built right now with Kansas City, man, I just I feel like the quarterback held us back and not the coach in those mid-2000s. But I also no longer harbor anger. You know what I mean? Like, I've moved on. Uh, how much do you put into Andy Reid as 8-3 and three against his former assistants in this game? Because I do think it matters. See, I don't know. I kind of hate those stats. Just I know. Like- They're t- yeah. Just from a statistical standpoint, it's kind of like, like, is this actually a real trend or is just this something that happens? Like a team, like, hey, the San Francisco Giants are eighteen and one on you know Sunday day games over the last ten years against the Mets or something. It's like, well, eighteen ten years ago has no correlation to today. So, is there really something to that? I don't know. Like Andy Reid is. I, I don't know what his career record is, but I know he's obviously got a winning record. I would imagine that when he's coaching against guys who were form- previously under him, um, you know, you're removing some of the better coaches in the league, like Bill Belichick that he would go up against, like I don't know, like a Mike Tomlin stuff like that. So it's like, is he coach? Is he is is it just because he? He knows them or is it because, you know, well, they're probably coaching lesser teams. They've moved on and he's the guy in power and they're coaching their upstart team. Like I, there's a million ways to explain that sort of thing. So I, I don't get off on those sort of stats. I just think 
I just think he's a better coach than Doug Peterson. Like Doug Peterson yes. is the pantomime of Andy Reid. So, uh, and the Chiefs are an all-around better team at the moment. I think, um, at least for going off of last year. So I would like for that reason alone, being a home game, tough place to play. That said, Andy Reid has an uncanny ability to shit the bed when he's supposed to win a game. Um, yes, I will say though, scarier to me than the eight and three record is the fact that, yeah, the yeah. fact that they played last Thursday and he has more time, and we know what he does with time, but also, um, man, they run similar offenses. Kansas City's is more developed than the Eagles. Uh, I think the Eagles' biggest chance in this game, and it's a very good chance is if Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, and that D-line take over. Because the Eagles are worse than the Patriots in many ways, but the one thing that I am 100% positive on is their defensive line is better than the Patriots, and it's not even close. Like, Fletcher Cox is one of, if not the best defensive tackle in the NFL, hands down. His film every freaking week is absolutely dominant. He's up there with Indomitian Sue. He can absolutely destroy a game, and that's what it's going to take to happen because the Kansas City Chiefs were able to run all over the Patriots. Kareem Hunt got the edge every freaking time. Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and Vinnie Curry can put an end to that. Um, I also think that their linebackers, other than Dante Hightower, are better. So I, I think that they do have a chance. I just think that if Doug Peterson starts keeps calling those got those stupid ass wide receiver screens, the Chiefs are going to be all over it. Like one thing that Sims said to me on the podcast on Thursday was he was so shocked at how. Um, prepared Greg Minuski's Washington defense was for a majority of the Eagles' concepts. He said it was shocking to see these very like complex Eagles routes where you'd have two receivers try and clear out a zone to for another receiver, but Washington had all the guys in the right spot. And he said, in week one, you typically don't see a defense know an offensive scheme, which makes me think, uh-oh, how many, how many of the schemes were carried over from last year? Because you need to adjust, you know what I mean? And the Chiefs defense is so good at picking up these nuanced, even without Eric Berry, that's something that really scares me going on this season. Are you talking about the screen run pass option plays to the sideline? Screen run pass, but also like some of the longer developing one where Wentz had to then scramble for seven to eight seconds to then open up one of those plays. Mm-hmm. What he was saying was on those amazing Wentz plays, the Washington knew exactly what play they were going to run on the passing concepts. And my thing just as a, as a person that has to pick games – I am not going to rely, I'm not going to bet that Carson Wentz is able to do that stuff again. I just think it's so hard to rely on that every week. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And like, look, you know, there are guys like like Adam Rogers and Russell Wilson who have, you know, made a, and even Donovan McNabb to a degree, who have made a career out of taking the broken play and making something of it. Um, Jim McCormick wrote for us yesterday, though, like, don't, people are high on Aguilar now because he looked good. Like, 
don't there was an outlier there. Don't expect Carson Wentz to run around for 13 seconds and find Aguilar wide open down the field every game. Like these things are were kind of outside of the normal course of of football. Um, another thing, and this you sort of in the same vein. You mentioned this the other day about you don't like the sequencing of Doug Peterson's play calling. Um, Sean Cottrell wrote a piece for us, I think later in the day on Wednesday, really uh, doubling down on something we did earlier in the week, explaining the reasoning behind the screenplays, behind the bubble screen, why you would want to run it, why when the Eagles ran it, it was actually a low-risk play that made some sense if it was executed correctly, um, which it wasn't on several occasions. And his point was, like, these plays work because they keep the defense honest. They force the linebackers to the outside. Um, it opens up the run a little bit inside. And if you could time it right, it opens up the deep ball. Um, I would like to see, and I think you may have even mentioned this on Wednesday, the Eagles run some double moves on plays like that. Fake the screen and have the one uh, supposed blocking receiver go deep and, and hit him deep. And those are the things I don't think we've seen from Doug Peterson. And it's concerning if the Redskins kind of saw their offense um, in week one already, and especially going up against your former mentor, he's, he's going to have a pretty good idea of what you're trying to do. But I do think there's, there's this notion that they're throwing a ton of screens. If you can, on one or two of those plays, keep a cornerback honest enough and close enough to the line and have someone like Torrey Smith or Alshon Jeffrey beat him deep, then... Um, you know, I I do think there's a little bit of big play upside there, but I agree with sure. you that it's not Carson Wentz running around for 15 minutes till someone gets open. And Kansas City, their quarterbacks notoriously are very aggressive and they want to jump routes. I'm just going to say that if I were advising both coaches, because Doug came from Andy Reid and we've watched Andy do it for a, like a decade plus and we see Doug do it, both of them take play action shots deep very early on in the game. We saw it last week with Doug when he took the shot to um, Torrey Smith. Uh, both both coaches are going to do it early on in this game. I feel very confident in that. So I would just tell their secondaries, just drop back and let up that 10-yard screen in case it does happen. Just don't get burned by it. Uh, two random statistics that are going to make us not feel great. One, Marcus Peters, the cornerback for the Chiefs, was out there for 40 pass plays last week guarding somebody. He allowed zero completions. He is an awful matchup for Alshon Jeffrey because he's faster than Alshon, he's tall enough to compete with Alshon, and he's more athletic than Alshon. So I imagine he will be locked up on Alshon for most of the game. Number two, do you know what the Chiefs' record is in their last 26 regular season games? Uh, no. 22 and 4. Whew. In the that's where they started off one season 1 and 5 and then Andy has won 22 of 26 regular season games. And yet there's not a conference championship game in there. Right? No, of course. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's but that's but that's thing. Yeah, but you know what? That's also the difference between playing in the AFC with the Patriots True. and playing in the NFC. That's the difference between playing in a division with the Raiders, Broncos, and Chargers than playing with, you know, Washington and and all that True, stuff. True, but that so. record, I mean, that record speaks for itself. It's just funny. It's just yeah. like, you know, here's a guy killing it in the regular season again. I didn't realize it was that good over the last, what is that, two and a half years worth? 
Yeah, like two years. I'm not good at math. Um, here's a little math. Or uh, one and a half. One and a half. Two would be 32 games. Yep, yep. Uh, but now you're you're going into season three of, the, of that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I, another number I'm not loving here, the line. Again, this could just be because the public is so on Kansas City and Sullivan beat up and on the Patriots. And they probably are. But it started uh, minus four and a half for the Chiefs. It's moved up to minus six. Uh, and the over-under has come down half a point. So the Eagles' expected point total has, has come down a full point from 21.75 to 20.75. And the Chiefs has uh, actually gone up from 26, 26 and a quarter to 26 and three quarters. So uh, the lines are not trending in their favor. And still, um, this is per Fantasy Lab, 69% of the action is on the Chiefs. Uh, now, I don't know if – I assume that's whatever the number was. But right now, it's minus six. So that's uh, – there's not a lot of confidence in the Eagles going into this. Um, yeah, I I think for me, um, it come it, it look all football comes down to the lines, uh, offensive and defensive line. Offensive line last week was really scary to me. Ryan Kerrigan was running free. Zach Brown was ba- like just bashing through the line on running plays. Uh, Holly Pulley Valley Vitae had to play extended amount with Jason Peters. I love that. Uh, I have multiple people that whenever I say that name, they're like, you just love saying it. You do. Um, you, I think you said it nine times on the podcast the other day. For me, I think it's because during the draft, that was one of the names that I really wanted to nail. And the fact that he landed on the Eagles was just such a beautiful amount of fortune. Uh, and it's just really fun to say. Say it. Holly Pooley Vali Vitae. Holly Pooley Vali Vitae. Holly Pooley Vitae. Yeah, I, right, I, I honestly well, I struggle with it. I struggle with do, it. Hold on, you just nailed it. Do it Holly, one more time. It feels great. Holly Pooley. Holly. I'm not doing this on purpose. Holly, <laughs> Holly Pooley Bali Vitae. Nailed it. Close nailed on. it. I think it's really fun to say. Um, but I thought Lane Johnson sucked last week. And now Ryan Kerrigan is a very good player. Justin Houston is a very special player. So that's one thing I'm watching. I think the Kansas City offensive line was phenomenal last uh, last week. I'm curious to see can Fletcher, because if Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and those guys have a lot of success, because if they get through, Alex Smith will regress to the Alex Smith we know and love and not the number one passer rating in the NFL last week and a player of the week. Um if they can bash up Kansas City, the Eagles are going to be a playoff contender, like a big-time one, because that means that the Dallas game, oh, yeah, we're going to get through to Dak. Like, I can, I'm can, i telling you that will be a thing. So I'm really paying attention to that. Uh, and then Doug Peterson's play calling. What will he do? How can he take advantage? What will be the sequencing? Can they run on this Kansas City defense? Um, and then also, can they stop the run? Uh, I have a lot of confidence in the Eagles' defense. Uh, Russell's prediction of twenty-four to thirty, thirty-four to twenty-five, I think is high. What was the over/under that you were just looking at? Uh, right now, it is forty-seven point five, so not very high. Not low, yeah, so but that, not high. Yeah. So Russ was that's a Russ predicted a fifty-nine. I'm much more in that forty-seven. Uh, and the, the questions for me will also be, like, I think special teams on both teams is great, so I don't see that really. I'll kind of give you mine right now. I would go, um, 
I would go Chiefs 27, Eagles 21, uh, right around that six-point margin. Um, and I, I think it's, yeah, I would say right around there. I was okay. Yeah, I was gonna go. I'm very similar. I'm gonna. I was gonna go 24-17 Chiefs, um, but I'll take like Doug Peterson going for an unnecessary two point conversion into my predictions from now on. So I'm gonna go 24-18 Chiefs. You're right. Why the hell did he go for that too? Well, I. Well, we talked about it. I think uh, Sturgis was. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And you know what? That's but a mathematically huge factor in this correct. game. Yeah. The factor that we have a, a kicker in Arrowhead Ooh. that just got on the team—that's scary as hell. Now I'm Look, feeling I better have... about my 18 prediction. I might dumb it down to 12. <laughs> no. So I have Sims's 15. prediction. What do you mean? You're 18. What do you? Mean? Oh, you're your like I'm factoring prediction. in some sort of uh, two point conversion, whatever here, and the fact that there might be more likely to do something a little bit radical because they, they right. they're using a backup kicker. I'll stick with 24 18. I'll make it 24 18. I have Sims's prediction right here. I have a doc where he has to put all of his information, and Sims is predicting Kansas City 28, Philadelphia 17. Okay, so we're all we're all in the same ballpark here. Yeah, the cool thing with all predicting the loss, though, is that if they play well, we feel okay. And if they win, we're, we're super excited. This does feel like the Pittsburgh game last year. And I because of that, I was very tempted to pick the Eagles. But that game was at home. And I do think that people underestimate how much home field advantage truly matters. Right. And the Steelers are the Steelers offense is it's at least their passing game is notoriously better at home uh, than it is on the road. Right. And I think they were a little banged up to start of last year. Like the Steelers weren't the Steelers in week three last year. Uh, no, and I always like anyone anyone that listens, people forget the Eagles the the Steelers had a fifty yard touchdown called back in the first quarter of that mm-hmm. game. And it's incredible to me. I wish like Bill Barnwell or someone like really charted football could go back and look at the amount of when touchdowns are reversed, like how that impacts the game. Last night, Tyler Eifert touchdown called back because he stepped out of bounds and they just never even came close the rest of the game. It's like, man, that game last night, the Cincinnati Bengals, Owned that game the entire time. And then John Ross with one fumble and Deshaun Watson with one run. And that was all they needed. That was 10 points that won the game for the Texans. NFL is so gosh darn flimsy. And that's why the Eagles have a chance. Even though we're all negative, they have a huge chance. They really do. Um, Can I leave you on one last Marcus Hayes thing? Oh my God! Yeah, you know what? That's that's how it should end. I agree. So, um, I, as you were talking earlier, I was looking up other things when you mentioned like going back, and I knew there were things in here. One of my favorites was actually last summer uh, after Dario said he would come over, and it was like a day before the coup in Turkey, and Hayes went on a Twitter screed saying, uh, "Quote: It took only an unforeseeable military coup for him to for- forfeit fourteen million. Clearly part of the plan." And then someone said. Um, uh, what did he say here? He said, I, I love how you know exactly that this is the truth. And he said, it's so obvious. I'm sure he said this with a straight face, I presume. I'm sure he, Dario, and his people stayed in touch with Turkish contacts. He's neither sequestered, independent, nor stupid. Like he actually went on Twitter, 
publicly and claimed that Dario Saric had foresight of a rebel coup in Turkey and thus decided that now would be the time to come over to the NBA. He honestly thought that was like a, a possibility. The advice that I will give everybody, and no matter what, serious, look it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whether it's news or sports, look at the track record of who you're reading. When you read an article, while you read the headline and the article, after you read the headline, look at who writes the article. It matters. And if you want to become a really informed person, whether it's news or sports, entertainment, anything, just keep note of who writes things. It's something that I didn't do well when I was younger. I would I would not look at who wrote stuff. And when people would say they're who their favorite writers were, I never had any because I just read articles. I never paid attention to who wrote them. Look at who writes articles. It matters. And we're at a time in our culture where you need to know where your information's coming from because when you look at websites or writers, you can be misled and it's going to program you and you're not even going to realize it. And I, I, I hate calling out people this much, but the man has a track record and I, I just, I really think he's hurting more than he's doing good. And the funny thing and on the, on the coup thing, cause it's just, it was just such like an easy thing to look up. Like it was just such a, a re- absurdly hot take. Like, oh yeah, clearly Dario knew that this was going to happen. And, and decided that he needed to leave the country. Like, a small amount of Googling unva- revealed that, like, it it wasn't like some grand plot, some expected thing. It was like a group of, like, ragtag rebels who caught everyone off guard, including, like, U.S. officials, spy agencies. Like, no one it, saw this coming. And it was like, it was like, it got batted down very quickly. And it was like, like basically a little gnat's nest that popped up and they squashed it right down. But like to imply that a basketball player who just happens to be passing through that country had insight into a coup, like is, is seriously like the goofiest possible thing. And yet like, these are the things Hayes will say with conviction, like with absolute conviction. And that if, if you dare question him on his crazy like hackneyed opinions you are somehow the idiot like and this this is the guy who who is like the leading columnist in our city it's it's remarkable it really is russ's prediction is 34 to 25 mine is 20 to 21 kyle what was yours uh 24 to 18 24 to 18 Eagles falling to the Chiefs. We hope that's not the case we also hope that you guys enjoyed the show all three of us Made all three shows this week. Super proud. Week two of the NFL season. Clicking on all cylinders. We'll be back Monday. Hit us up on iTunes with a five-star review and comment. And also hit up Kyle and on Twitter at Crossing Broad. Myself at Adam Lefko and Russ at Joy on Broad if you want to continue the conversation. Love you guys very much. Hope you have a great day. Hope your weekend is great. Hope the Eagles prove us wrong. And we will holler at you soon next time on Crossing Broadcast.